extend a welcome to you this morning. Like I already mentioned, it's been a blessing to be here. The Word of God is, is very practical and it can be, um, sometimes it challenges us in ways we, we weren't anticipating. And uh, I uh, certainly was blessed and challenged this morning in the Sunday school lesson. Status was praying. I thought about that aspect. I didn't think about it before necessarily, but you know that Jesus, God, gives us the perfect example of unity through the Spirit and the Son. Jesus, while He was here doing the will of the Father, and the Spirit then working through us to do uh, manifest His will in the world today yet. And uh, the challenge to us is that we do not mar that expression of unity as we allow God to work through our lives. Part 3, Upper Room Fellowship. I've entitled my meditation this morning, and this is my concluding. Uh, I hope I haven't wore the upper room thought out. I was just blessed with it the more I thought about it. Now, I entitled my meditation this morning, uh, Upper Room Atmosphere. And I believe, as I was just a little bit of a review, as I was thinking back over the uh, experiences of Jesus' disciples and his relationship to them, uh, I believe those upper room experiences were special, what we might say today, iconic experiences with his followers, with his disciples. You think about the Last Supper. Uh, you think about the feet washing, uh, the initiation of feet washing experience that took place there in that upper room. You think about the post-resurrection experiences that he revealed himself to the disciples in the upper room. And the confirmation that there is life beyond this here today. And we can trust our lives to Him. And we can some, someday in hope look forward to life beyond this life. It doesn't end with the grave, my friend, this morning. And then, concluding this morning, I want to look at the idea of the, the Holy Spirit being imparted to the disciples and followers of Jesus as they were together in the upper room. And I referred to this verse before in Acts chapter 1. Uh, verse 13, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. This was right after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Celotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer. Talk about unity. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Verse 15, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of his midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was, guide, was, which was to guide them that took Jesus. And uh, I want to drop down. So they were in the upper room. That was 40 days after the uh, post-resurrection of uh, Jesus. He had ascended. And then we come to uh, chapter 2. And that's when the, uh, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place. So this was ten days later. Pentecost meaning 50. Penta meaning 50. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place again. And I think that's, that's interesting that the writer here emphasizes that. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. 
and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that was the third upper room experience that took place, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I believe all of us have in our journey through life special locations that are that hold special meaning to us. Uh, as I was meditating and reflecting back over my journey through life, I guess there was one that probably came to my mind, and this does not, it, it has impacted my life, uh, and it has had some spiritual uh, implications because uh, of the marriage relationship. And uh, one of the uh, iconic relation, the iconic location that's special to me and Loss and I, I think she would share this with me, is uh, Susquehanna Knox State Park. It's in southern uh, Lancaster County, right along the Susquehanna River on, on the west uh, side of Lancaster County. Anybody ever been there? Okay, a few of you. Uh, I, Forty years ago, it was somewhat of a secluded park. At least that's the way I, every time I was there, it seemed not very well, not a lot of people there for a state park. And uh, we had hiked there just prior to getting engaged, and then we went back there actually and took our engagement picture there. Now, I don't know if you do engagement pictures today anymore or not, but anyway, that's where we took our engagement picture. And it was a, a rocky outcrop, uh, probably, I'm going to guess in the distance, maybe 150 feet above the Susquehanna River, maybe. Uh, the 320, 372 bridge is below that, I think, yet. But anyway, it's, it's a real vantage point. You can sit up there and, and look out over the, uh, the river valley there, and uh, it's scenic. Well, that's, that's a personal uh, spot that's special to us. We've been back a couple of times since. Uh, matter of fact, it's probably time to go again. Uh, anyway, but, you know, each of you in your own personal lives have incidences that are special to you. Just like the disciples had, I believe, they were treasuring those things that took place in the upper room with, with Jesus. And, uh, you know, a little closer home, maybe on a spiritual side, you know, there are some, some people that I've heard talk about things that took place at, at Bible schools, a special term, a special event. And, uh, you know, that's oftentimes where our young people meet their partners for life. And, you know, that holds some. And I remember being at Bible school. This goes back a number of years. We were having a fellowship meal there. Were you here, Dennis? When a honeymoon couple came in there Sunday afternoon, they were on their trip, and uh, they came back to reminisce their meeting there. You don't remember that? Why am I on? I, I think I could name the couple. But, uh, so they were coming back to this location. This was Maranatha Bible School, by the way. We were having a, a Sunday afternoon fellowship meal there, and uh, they uh, stopped in the Sunday afternoon. And I suppose we probably ruined their, their romantic moment. I don't know. <laughs> Here the whole church was there having a fellowship meal. Anyway. I'd like to think about I, I taught out my meditation, Upper Room Atmosphere. I don't know what you think about when you think about atmosphere, but uh, I remember as a young boy being fascinated by an instrument that my grandpa Nolte had on his shelf in his home, and it, it displayed three things. It displayed the temperature, it displayed the humidity, and then there was a, a barometric uh, meter there too, a barometer, and it gave an indication. I remember being fascinated. Now this was back before weather radios were the norm, 
And, uh, you know, so I thought this was kind of unique that you could tell what was going to happen about 24 hours ahead of time by the way that needle would drop, the barometric pressure would start dropping, and it was going to get, get stormy. And uh, I remember being fascinated by that because, you know, to me that was, that was quite, you know, before we didn't know what was going to happen until it was upon you pretty well. We, could, we lived on a hill so we could see storms coming, but uh, anyway, that was, I found that fascinating. So that, that had to do with the barometric pressure and had to do with the atmosphere in which, the air in which we're, we're living. And uh, I thought about, I actually Googled it to make sure I'm correct on this, in 2010, and maybe a good many of you were living here at this time, Minnesota actually experienced one of the lowest reading, barometric pressure readings ever recorded in the mid-continent United States. It actually equaled uh, coastal barometric pressure readings of hurricanes, east coast, west coast. And I, I failed to note the, the reading, but I think it was 22 point something. And, uh, no, 26, I'm sorry, 22, 26.2. Ryan corrected me back there. He was, he, we wouldn't have been alive, is that right? <laughs> I think it was 26.20 20 or 22. And, uh, and I didn't write that down. I'm just pulling it out of my memory here. So you can check me on that. But, uh, and it said, it, I think it had sustained winds of 68 miles an hour, almost 70 miles an hour. Sustained winds. Do you remember that, Justin? 2010? Yeah. You'd have been born. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that old. Okay. 2010. Well, uh, and there were gusts, you know, quite a bit, quite a bit higher than that. But, uh, Webster says, talking about atmosphere, he says it's the whole mass of gases surrounding the earth, the air, or the general feeling or the environment. And I guess I'm, as I'm thinking of the upper room atmosphere, I, I use the application of the, the general feeling that was in that upper room. You know, the, the, I believe there was a closeness as they were there together as followers of Jesus, their love for their master. Uh, I believe there is an, and I believe that's what we want to replicate here in our congregation today. It's it's what's going to give us unity, our love for Jesus Christ, and we talked about that this morning. What is the atmosphere this morning inside this building, inside Prayer Mennonite Church? It's actually very comfortable. At least I am. I hope you're comfortable where you're sitting at. But beyond that, I hope you're comfortable spiritually. Um, you know, as I meditated on the idea of, of what the atmosphere is like, you know, I've, some of the expressions I've heard already, he or she came into the room and you could just feel the tension. you probably heard people say that already. A certain person came on, on the scene and they, they say, well, you could you almost feel the tension. And uh, sometimes we use the expression, you, the tension was so, you could almost cut it. Uh, on, the, on the positive side, you can say that sometimes you could feel the tension melt by what he or she perhaps said. You know, they diffuse the situation by uh, saying, hey, do it your way. Well, that's the atmosphere this morning, the atmosphere in the upper room. And uh, I, like to, I like to think this morning a little bit, how is that atmosphere in the upper room actually going to be what it ought to be? That it's God-honoring, that it's God-glorifying. And that brings me to... Um, Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. You know, and, and we mentioned already that it's, it's the effect of the Spirit within our lives that makes us what we ought to be. Good fruit 
doesn't just happen. We all, all of us have gardened enough, I'm sure, that we know you don't go out to your garden and you haven't paid attention to it, you haven't done an iota to it, and there's the fruit growing, unless you've got a good neighbor that comes in and helps you out. You know, it just doesn't happen on its own. At least in my 60 years almost of living, I have never experienced it that way. And I have a lot of stories to tell my children of our probably acre and a half garden growing up at home and, uh, you know, the long rows and the baskets and the bushels of produce or whatever that we put away. And it gets better with the years, I'm sure. <laughs> they remind me of that. But anyway, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus here very tells us, Jesus here very clearly tells us that, you know, good fruit is not going to just happen without effort. Okay, Matthew 13, I want to read verses 1 through 9 and then jump down to verse 18 where Jesus gives an exposition of that uh, parable that he used here. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell up by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Dropping down to verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not yet hath he not take root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. God planted his likeness in us as his followers, as his disciples, through his Holy Spirit. We see here in this parable that Jesus is uh, talking here. He, he gives uh, uh, an illustration of four uh, representing types of people. And, uh, you know, we have, first of all, the wayside. You know, what is it that, that hardens the pathway soil? Uh, this morning we're sitting here. We probably, all of us, fit into one of those four soil types as we think of our hearts this morning. And that's a challenging thought if you stop and think about it. Uh, you know, the four different types of soil that Jesus described here. I believe that each one of us here this morning could fit into one of those four soil types of our hearts. Well, what is it that hardens the pathway? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 tells us that we ought to seek first the kingdom of God. And I'd like to suggest this morning that anything other than seeking first the kingdom of God is going to have a hardening effect upon the soil of our heart. And uh, that's a challenging truth that I believe we need to keep in focus as we go through life. 
that anything other than seeking first the kingdom of God will have a hardening effect upon our soil. I'm a farmer, so soil to me is important. Uh, you know, I, I don't like hard soil. I know it's not productive. And uh, I like that soil that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to bear fruit. But Jesus said, there are some soils, some hearts that are not going to be fruitful for me in my kingdom. Pathway soil. So, as I think of pathway soil, I think it's soil that is not living up to its potential. It has, it, you know, chemistry-wise, it probably has, it's probably all there. But because of the, the compaction of it, it doesn't have its potential. To me, as a farmer, it's soil that's disappointing. Uh, you know, the corn gets shorter there where it's compacted. It's not going to yield. It's soil that's trading something uh, for so it's trading for far less and cheating itself and cheating the gardener than what its potential could be. And that's disappointing. Uh, pathway soil. The challenging truth to all these different types of soil is that you choose this morning what type of soil you're going to allow your heart to be. Uh, it comes by rejecting it comes by rejecting the Spirit's work in our hearts and lives. And it will become hard and harder and harder. But we choose that. Uh, what type of soil we're going to allow our heart to be. Whether it's pathway soil, stony soil, thorny, thorny soil, or good soil. We can choose. It comes God gave us that potential that we can choose what type of soil we want. And it's important that we understand the uh, dynamics or the, the process to having our hearts as good soil. Looking at the stony soil, the second kind that Jesus mentioned there in his parable, you know, it's, it's, it's a, an understood fact that plants need roots uh, to bear fruit. If the root system is not healthy, you know, the agronomist comes out to my fields in the fall, oftentimes it'll pull up and look at some of the cornstalk roots. And I'll look at what, uh, or partway through the year sometimes, he'll look at them and, and see what the root system looks like. What's taking place here? And uh, does the root system look healthy or not? Well, plants need roots to bear fruit. Is the soil of our heart shallow? Does it have depth to it? Enough to bring nourishment to the life of the Christian? What lies hidden beneath that soil? Uh, you know, uh, we don't have a lot of rocks. Our, our soil is more of a heavy clay soil here in southern Minnesota, mostly. You get east further, you get into more of the, uh, the rocky uh, uh, underbed type soil. We do have a few big rocks, actually. We had one that, uh, it, it's right on the surface. And uh, it only shows about a basketball size, right on the surface. And, uh, you know, we come through with tillage equipment, we come through with planting equipment, and it kind of bothered me a little bit because, you know, I, I hear that noise and I think of the, you know, I have to lift the, the chisel or the ripper or planter a little bit. Sometimes I wouldn't catch it and, you know, you hear that noise and you think, ah, that's not good for the equipment. And so one time the neighbor with his, I don't know what size cat it was, and he was doing some work there. I think it might have been when he was building grading out there for Delvin's Barns, I'm not sure, a couple years back anyway. I said, well, come on down here in the field. I've got a rock we want to deal with. And uh, this was a neighbor man. And it was not a real big cat. I don't know. It was an old one. I know that. And uh, he kind of dug around a little bit. And, you know, instead of the rock moving, the bulldozer moved. <laughs> he could not barely even move that rock. It, it's down there. And it's still there to this day. And I'm living with it. And it's going to get passed on to the next generation. But, but anyway... 
you know, that's there's nothing grows on that rock. And, uh, you know, it's uh, thankfully it's just a small spot, but, you know, it, I'm sure it has an impact on, on a larger area. But it's, it has to be a big rock. And, uh, but rocky soil. Our roots need to be in Christ. Our roots need to be in Christ. We need to be rooted and built up in Christ Jesus if we are going to be fruitful this morning throughout our Christian life. Looking at the thought of thorny, thorny soil, and I need to confess I've got some of that too at home. Uh, you know, thorny soil is busy soil. It's growing something, but it's not growing what you want it to grow. Uh, matter of fact, you wouldn't probably know the soil was there if you didn't if you didn't know that weeds needed soil to grow too. Now they they don't need probably as much soil as as fruitful producing corn or alfalfa. You know, alfalfa roots can go six feet deep. Corn roots, and how deep corn roots corn roots grow? Uh, go, I'm gonna say maybe two feet, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> That's a guess. I'm not an agronomist. But, you know, I, I think of the, the negative fruit. I, I think of the giant ragweed. I think of the Canadian thistle. I think of the lamb's quarter. I think of the foxtail. Uh, you know, those are all negative weeds that are growing in corners that are uncultivated. And they're not producing uh, anything positive. And, uh, matter of fact, probably your county has maybe some ordinances in controlling weeds, especially noxious weeds. And... Uh, I know the thistles are awfully sometimes pretty tough on. They don't like to see patches of thistles growing. I, uh, in one pasture, I had some thistles growing. I, the neighbor mentioned, he said, you know, you really don't take care of them. And he was right. And uh, we sprayed them, and uh, I think we, we, we licked them. But, uh, you know, there's still thorns growing. There's still thistles growing. And there probably always will be uh, because of the curse. Go back to Adam and Eve. But... Uh, well, I need to ask myself, what is growing in the soil of my heart? Is it something that's productive and to the glory of God? Or is it simply those weeds that are producing negative uh, things? If you look at Jesus uh, in verse 22, where Jesus expounded on this parable, he tells us what kind of weeds that can grow in our lives. Look at verse 22. He says, uh, well, he says, first of all, the cares and the anxieties and the worries of the world. Those are, those, are, those are weeds that can grow in our lives. And then he says uh, also about the deceitfulness of wealth and affluence. That's something that can grow in our lives if we're not careful. And then thirdly, now I wish there was only three kinds of weeds in reality, but spiritually I believe Jesus is saying it's those three kinds of weeds. And the third one was covetousness and materialism. And that's one that is very, very, uh, how do you say, we deal with it today in a very real way. Those types of weeds are, have the potential to grow in the soil of our heart if we're not careful, if we do not allow the Spirit to cultivate our lives and our heart. So I think of the uh, thorny soil. You know, life is meant to be lived one day at a time. That's the way God gives it to us, one day at a time. Yesterday's gone. We don't have no promise of tomorrow. Uh... And I, as I meditated on that, I, I thought, you know, God in His wisdom knew what He was doing. And I believe He knew that we could only handle one day at a time in reality. Um, we need to trust our, our hearts, our lives into God's hands.
you think of the uh, three types of weeds that grow you know all of those three types of weed uh, weeds rather are could be summed up in selfishness I believe the cares anxieties the worries of the world you know that that's all because of what's going to happen to me uh, the deceitfulness of wealth and affluence you know it's it's what I want to get it's what I need uh, covetousness and materialism it's all all those weeds have their roots in selfishness and uh, I was impressed I believe it was Philip Keller in his book uh, Master I'm not exactly sure the t- title of that book uh, The Master Gardener uh, something about the Master Gardener looks at the fruits of the Spirit or something like that and he said instead of trying instead of getting you know trying to get everything that's our carnal nature we want to get it we want to we want to accumulate it we want to hang on to it he says try giving he says it'll clear your life and your heart and your mind of of a lot of the uh, weeds of selfishness and I was impressed as I thought about that as I think of the selfishness of those weeds that Jesus described there in verse 22 and he says you know if we simply give it takes care of, of that problem and uh, you know, so if I'm having trouble with weeds growing in my life, uh, one of those three varieties of weeds that Jesus described here, you know, maybe I need to be giving more. Maybe I need to be getting rid of things. Maybe I need to be giving it to the Lord. Well, the fourth soil uh, is that of good soil, and that's ultimately what what we want in our hearts and lives. That good soil that's going to produce a hundredfold or more. And uh, Philip Keller said this, he said, even the best of soil must first be broken before it become, before it can become fruitful. And I like to challenge that, I was appreciated that challenging thought, and I like to re-emphasize that, that even the best soil of our hearts must be broken before it can become fruitful. We need to come before God and allow ourselves to be broken and cultivated. And even for good soil, patience is required. Fruit doesn't, it takes time. God is working in our lives and uh, we need to exercise patience is required for fruitfulness. It won't happen just overnight. And you can ask yourself this morning, what is my life yielding? 100, 60, or 30? I believe the more uh, you are filled with God's Spirit, the more you allow yourself to be controlled by God's Spirit, I believe the better the yield in our lives. The more, and that's a challenge as I think about that. The more that I allow God's Spirit to control my life, the better the yield will be for God's glory. Turning to Galatians where we have the fruit of the Spirit listed. And we're talking about developing an upper room atmosphere. And that that comes from through the Holy Spirit. That comes from our lives being cultivated by the Holy Spirit. And then ultimately bearing and uh, giving evidence of the... uh, fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 lists the fruit of the Spirit. Begin reading at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. I'd like to just read through uh, um, these fruit of the Spirit. We, we generally know what they mean, probably. I'd like to just read one uh, commentator's thoughts on this. He says, uh, 
Love. It's the primary key to everything along with temperance. Love is a bookend that helps hold the other fruit in place. It is love that surpasses human understanding and causes a person to be filled with the fullness of God in Ephesians 3 verses 18 and 19. Its divine characteristics are detailed in 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter that's so familiar to all of us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angry. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. That's love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And it's, it's, it's kind of a capital uh, fruit that we, we need to be expressing as followers of Jesus Christ. The fruit of joy, the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptional, good or satisfying. Joy gives spiritual strength. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, we can experience joy even in adverse situations as we look at the example of Jesus Christ in what he endured for us. Joy. And that's, that's a fascinating uh, concept to the world, I believe, that we can be joyful in spite of our uh, difficulties in spite of our losses and many times we're challenged by people's testimony of, of the joy that they experience in, in going through trying times in life the joy, the fruit of uh, peace primarily peace with God when we are sinners doing the works of the flesh we are rebels against God when our rebellion ends and we are forgiven and then we are at peace with God this kind of peace doesn't come through laying around on vacation, entertainment, drugs, alcohol or wealth the spiritual fruit of peace results from being justified by faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, made right, declared innocent or guiltless, through faith in what Christ has accomplished for us on cross, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must learn to maintain peace in also our other horizontal relationships with our fellow man. We made peace with God. We then can have peace with our fellow man and then also with ourselves as well. We maintain peace with God by believing and trusting Him and by not sinning. We maintain, maintain peace with our fellow man by not allowing strife to be part of our relationship, going back to that tension aspect, by not allowing strife to be a part of our relationships with other people. We maintain peace with ourselves by being happy with who we are and by refusing to live in guilt or condemnation. God has created each one of us uniquely we need to accept our personality for the way we are and uh, that's not saying that God can't help us to improve the fruit of long suffering long and patient endurance of injury trouble or provocation like when someone keeps making you angry or picking on you but just letting it go and you maintain control long suffering is love on trial it enables you to be emotionally strong and to forgive others Colossians 3 verse 13 says forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This is fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering. Can I treat my fellow man, my brother, as Christ has forgiven me? The idea of gentleness, the fruit of gentleness, being moderate, kind, the, action, the absence of harshness or severity. Uh, fruit of goodness, moral excellence, virtue, God is the ultimate example of goodness. There is none good but God. Goodness is holiness put into practice and results from knowing God. Goodness enables you and me to do good to those who hate you. 
as well as those of the household of faith, where we certainly ought to be exercising. That's in Galatians 6, verse 10. It is of the goodness and the grace of God that leads people to repentance. That's why you and I, as Christians today, we need to be good examples of being good to people. Our witness won't have any power unless we are kind to others. We are called to be a light in a dark world, and we must make, our, make up our minds that we are going to allow that light to shine. The aspect of, or the fruit of faith, a better translation of, is faithfulness, the act of being faithful, doing what you say you are going to do, being known as someone people can trust because you are reliable. Webster's Dictionary defines faithful as, a main, as maintaining allegiance, constant, loyal, constant, loyal, marked by or showing a strong sense of duty or responsibility, consciousness, accurate, reliable, and exact. That's faith. And it, it, it covers a broad spectrum of, of uh, characteristics. The idea of meekness, the fruit of meekness, humble, patient. Meekness is not being mousy or weak, but rather a servant-like submission to God and others in your care. Your spirit is free from rebellion and pride. Meekness or humility is defined as freedom from pride and arrogance, modest estimation of our own worth. Humility or meekness is the opposite of pride. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And in Psalms 37, 11, plainly states that the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Is that my experience this morning? Am I experiencing peace in my life? The fruit, last fruit here, of temperance, self-control, moderation, or self-restraint in action or statement. It is controlled over your entire being, body, soul, and spirit. A person who has self-control is mild and calm and avoids extreme, extreme behavior and exercises self-restraint in both action and speech. After all, temperance and love are the bookends that hold all of the other fruit in place. I like that concept of love and temperance being the bookends that somewhat package all the other fruit together. And uh, so that's the fruit that we ought to be that we ought to be bearing. Turn in your Bibles to John 15. <clears throat> this is the uh, passage of the vine, verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purchaseth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So ye shall be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye, in, continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. 
Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye shall that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name he may give it you. These things have I commanded you, that ye love one another. A very vivid illustration of what is required to be fruitful. We have in verse one the true one, the true vine, and the husband, who is uh, Jesus and the Father again, and uh, we need to have attachment to that to that vine. The way in verse two, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that made that it may bring forth more fruit. We need to be attached to the true vine. And as we are attached to that true vine, He will work, continue to work in our lives. He will purge those things. He will bring through the Holy Spirit those things that are uh, competing against uh, our walk with Him, our love for Him. And he will, he will help us to purge out those things. The way to more fruit is to allow God's Spirit to purge those things from our lives. The role, the way, that, the way that's accomplished is in verse 3, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. It, it's, it's through the word of God that we can that purging can take place. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the word, that, that purging takes place. Verse 4 and verse 5 tells us the, uh, the fruitality of, of being able to try and bear fruit on our own. We, ju- we simply cannot do it in our own strength. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Don't expect to be a Christian and give the fruit and, and bear evidence of these fruit that we've looked at unless you're attached to the true vine. It's fruitful. I am the vine, you the branches. He that abideth in me and I am the same bringeth forth much fruit. Much fruit. Is that our experience this morning? Well, look at verse 6 as the alternative. Uh, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch. It's withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Totally useless. Verses 7 8 give us a motivation. It's for God's glory. We abide in him. My words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. God is looking for glory in you and me bearing fruit for him. Verses 9 to 13, love is and joy are the primary result. And again in verses 14 through 16, uh, I believe our obedience, to, our obedience to Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to, our responding to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is evidence of our love to Jesus Christ and to God. As I thought about this illustration here, I thought about our church. I thought about Prayer Mennonite Church. You know, I could see it as a garden this morning. I could see it as a vineyard. Uh, with a lot of different plants here. And, uh, you know, I think of God walking through and among us, working in our lives. And, uh, you know, just as a garden has many different plants, types of plants, vegetables, whatever. And, uh, you know, as God walks through our, our congregation this morning and he stops by Dennis and says, here's a Dennis Martin plant. You know, what kind of fruit is he producing? And goes back and there's an Alex plant. Uh, what kind of fruit is he producing? And he works in our in our hearts and lives. And uh, you know, uh, God is 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 God disappointed as he walks and works among us sometimes. Uh, and only we can answer that ourselves, I guess, as we as we analyze our lives, as we see God's spirit working in our lives, 
you know, am I resisting the work of God's Spirit in my life? That's a question I have to ask myself. Or am I submitting to what God wants to accomplish in my heart and life so that I bear fruit for His glory? I've been challenged as I thought of the upper room atmosphere. You know, that's, uh, that's what's going to bring in to our congregation the atmosphere that, that we want as we allow God's Spirit to, to uh, bring to fruitation in our lives uh, the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit working and, uh, and uh, moving among us for His glory. May God, may this uh, upper room atmosphere continue. I believe we have had upper room atmosphere, but you know, it's, it's like anything else. It takes effort, it takes work to continue on with that. And uh, if we're going back to the Sunday School lesson, if our, if our focus is on unity uh, through the Spirit, I believe that can be our experience as we follow Christ through this journey of life.